Well, there are two phrases uh, that I've been hearing a lot in the last couple of years. I don't know that I'd ever really heard them before the last couple of years, and it feels like they just keep picking up in, in speed and frequency. I'm curious if you've heard these phrases. Uh, the first is the age of anxiety. We live in the age of anxiety. That's the first phrase. The second phrase is deaths of despair. I keep hearing about that stuff in the news. We're in the age of anxiety. We're experiencing these deaths of despair, these deaths of despair that especially uh, typically are related to opioid overdose and opioid use, uh, especially in communities that are run down and dealing with problems and dealing with challenges. These phrases we keep hearing over and over, we're in the age of anxiety, we're experiencing deaths of despair. And I, I hear this given the promises of a secular world and go, how can this be? How could it be? I mean, think about this. We have enlightenment. We have technology. We have education. We have science. We have instant communication. We have money. We have internet gurus galore. You, you can find them anywhere, right? We, we got all this stuff that, that modernity and secularism promised. How is it that we could be in such an age of anxiety? How is it that we could be experiencing so many deaths of despair? And the answer is we're experiencing all this anxiety as a society. We're experiencing all this despair as a society because we've lost God. It's really that simple. We've lost God and, and we're miserable. A study actually came out just this week um, after I had already decided this is how I was gonna start my sermon, I found out this study had come out and this study uh, reported that especially in, there, there were 15 states that experienced the sharpest decline at the end of the uh, 20th century, the sharpest decline in church attendance. And those same 15 states also lead the country in deaths of despair. Now, you may be in a place where you're like, well, I don't know, I, I'm not really an opioid user. I don't know if that applies to me. Though my guess is that many of us in this room are touched by that issue. But, but what do we do as a people who feel more anxious, who feel more lonely, who feel more discouraged, who feel more despairing? We've got to turn our attention to God. Now, one of the things we have to remember, one of the things this teaches us and reminds us is that we, as the people of God, are not in Christendom anymore. We are in exile, right? People can debate how much Christendom existed in our country over the however many centuries we've existed, but whatever it is, we're not in Christendom anymore, and it doesn't seem like it's coming back anytime soon, no matter who gets elected. We're in exile, which means it's dark, and it's getting darker. And so the question becomes, well, how are we going to find hope, real hope, real hope in an age of anxiety, real hope in the midst of despair, in the I just wonder this, what if the answer was not that we needed to go looking for God, right? If God's the answer, what if it wasn't that we needed to go look for him, but actually that he was going to come look for us? What if that was actually the hope, that, that the way we were going to experience God was not by us, you know, doubling our effort to go get to find God, but actually that God was going to come to us? Well, in fact, that's what the biblical story tells us is what happened, and it's even what's happening now. God is pursuing his people, and it's what brings us to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, we're reading a new series today, uh, The Servant King, and what we're going to look at in this series is a study of Isaiah 40 to 55. Uh, chapters 40 to 66 of Isaiah are called the Book of Comfort, and chapters 40 to 55 are one poem in the Hebrew, and in the Hebrew, this is a poem all about how God is coming for his people. God's coming for his people, and he's going to rule, and he's going to reign, He's going to be the servant king that they need. A uh, big chunk of last year, we looked at this, uh, 
series. We did it through First and Second Samuel, the beginning of First Kings. We need a king. We need a king. We need a king, right? This promise that Israel needed a king like all the other nations and that king after king, even the best ones failed. And so God says, I'll come. I'll be your king. Now, this is written to comfort people who are in exile. Uh, The people of Israel, because of their idolatry, because of their commitment to worship idols instead of worshiping God, uh, they had been taken off by Babylon and taken away into exile. And uh, you got to understand this. No nation had ever been taken into exile and then come back. But that's actually what this book is about, is how God is going to come and he's going to bring his people back into their land. God's coming as this servant king and God is going to make his people and he's gonna make all of creation new by removing their idols and by forgiving their sins. So that's what we're looking at in these coming weeks. This is gonna take us up to Easter and uh, we're gonna look week after week at how God is pursuing his people. And what's really fun is in the couple weeks right before Easter, we're gonna look at all these promises that are very specifically about Jesus that took place 700 years before his life that were fulfilled on Holy Weekend in his death and resurrection. And it's gonna blow our minds as we go, wow, God really has come for his people. So Isaiah 40, uh, the, the beginning part is this kind of, it's this like overture, right? I, I, um, I had to kind of look up what an overture is because um, someone had mentioned, oh yeah, this is like an overture. And I was like, well, I, uh, I listen to country music. So what's an overture? Uh, and uh, so maybe you don't know what one is either, but uh, if, you, if, you, if you knew what an overture was, an overture is, is uh, where an orchestra, typically at the beginning of a symphony, or sometimes this happens like at the beginning of a musical, uh, right? The, the, the orchestra starts to tune their instruments and then they kind of play instrumentally before the curtain rises. And they sort of, in a sense, if you listen closely, you hear uh, like little bits of all the different songs that are coming. It's this sort of preview of the songs that you're gonna hear through the rest of the thing. That's what an overture is. And so Isaiah 40 is like an overture, Right? In Isaiah 40, we're going to get all these themes that we're going to pick up in the coming weeks. We're going to hear about comfort. We're going to hear about forgiveness. We're going to hear about the glory of the Lord, the word of God, the futility of idols, and the transcendence and the tenderness of God. This is going to be today, I think, just a great introduction, not into just who God is and how he's seeking us, uh, but this whole series that we're going to experience together. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you more anxious, more lonely, uh, more discouraged, more frustrated than we wish we were. And, uh, and so God, we just, we invite you to come, to come by your spirit. Like you came for Israel, like you came in Christ, would you come now by your spirit and open our hearts to your word Lord, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would your word stand, even in this moment, to bring us comfort, to help us to see who you really are? Uh, We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna do is just walk through this passage together, and we're gonna see how we're gonna find comfort in the midst of our anxiety and our despair. So the first section we could call comfort, comfort. And this comes from verse one of uh, Isaiah 40. It begins, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort, comfort. I want you to experience my comfort. Right before this, in chapter 39, they had gone into exile. And now God's saying, hey, this exile, this despair, this anxiety, this hopelessness, this is not the end of your story. I want you to experience comfort, comfort. 
Uh, one of the best movies of all time. It's, it's kind of old now, so if you haven't seen it, some of you younger folks, I get it, uh, is Shawshank Redemption. Have you ever seen Shawshank Redemption? Right, Andy Dufresne is in there and he's imprisoned falsely um, and he's kind of having all these battles at, with the warden at different points, but he does a good job at different things, especially, uh, you know, hiding the corruption of the warden. <laughs> and so he gets a little bit of freedom and one day he stumbles onto these records and he finds this classical song and he puts the record on and he plays it over the loudspeaker of the whole prison. And the prisoners start to jolt and they all just stop and stare and listen. Of course, it gets in Andy, Andy in horrible trouble. But uh, one commentator said this, in Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people, says to your God, those are operatic words sung into despairing ears and hearts. This is what God wants to bring us is comfort, comfort. Well, how are we going to experience uh, God's comfort? Well, uh, the first way is that he's going to tell us, hey, you're my people. How are we going to experience God's comfort? By being one of God's people, right? This is not God just saying, hey, comfort, comfort for those people. He's saying, comfort, comfort my people. I'm going to take ownership of you. There is access that you get when you're one of God's people, uh, some years ago, I got to go on this uh, trip to New York for you know, a conference or something, and uh, one of the guys that I was on the trip with knew somebody that played for the Giants, the New York football Giants. And uh, so, uh, you know, it was like a Monday night, because there was Monday night football, and, uh, and so we met up with this guy, and we went into this like hoity-toity restaurant, and they ushered us back through, past the bouncers, past the security people into this private room where there was a big screen. We could watch Monday Night Football with an NFL cornerback and had this lovely dinner. And it was like, I just kept sitting there going, where am I right now? What is happening? What, what is this, right? And here's what's happening. We had access because of this NFL player. We, we, we were able to come in because we were part of his entourage at that moment. I've never been part of an entourage. It was kind of neat, you know, like, I'm like, oh, I could get into this. I see why these things happen. But, but it was like, all of a sudden there's this access. We're with him. We're with him. Here's what God's saying. You can have comfort because you're with me. You're my people. I'm your God. Comfort, comfort says, for my people says, God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is a really interesting phrase in the Hebrew. Uh, this is communicating the idea of forgiveness, right? The warfare is ended and you're going to receive double for all your sins. Here's what it means in the Hebrew. It literally means fold it over. Right, it's that idea that if you had a piece of paper and you folded it over, it would exactly cover the thing that you were trying to cover. This is what God's saying. God's saying, listen, you're gonna experience my comfort because you're my people and I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm gonna fold it over. Uh, every kind of sin that you have committed, the ones that you, that you shouldn't have done that, but you did it anyway, I'm gonna, fold, I'm gonna fold over and forgive that sin. The ones that you should have done this, but you didn't, hey, I'm gonna cover it. God's coming near we're his people. He's forgiving our sin. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way 
of the Lord. So why can we experience comfort? Because the Lord is coming. The Lord himself is on his way. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. God is on the move. God is coming near. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Why else should we experience God's cover or God's comfort? Because and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now this is really cool, this idea that all flesh is gonna see the glory of the Lord. Here's why this is so cool. This is actually a theme that keeps coming up in the book of Isaiah. So in Isaiah chapter six, there's that incredible scene where Isaiah is seeing the glory of the Lord be revealed, but it's just Isaiah. And then you get into Isaiah 33, 17, and it says that the faithful people will see the glory of the Lord. And then you get into chapter 35, verse two, and it says that those in the wilderness who've endured the wilderness, they're the ones that will see the glory of the Lord. And now here, who's gonna see the glory of the Lord? Everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, everybody. Right, everybody, all flesh. This is what it's saying. The glory of the Lord is coming. The weightiness, the importance, the value of the Lord. He's coming near. God's glory is being revealed. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Do you see that? The grass withers, the flower fades, When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Why do we experience comfort? Because hey, look around, the world's falling apart. Are you surprised? You're getting old, I'm getting old. We're getting saggy, our bodies hurt. And what's happening to us is happening to everything. It's called entropy. Grass weathers, the flower fades, no duh. But here's the good news, here's the comfort. But the word of our God will stand forever. So think of this, why can we experience comfort? Because we're God's people, he's forgiving our sin, he's coming near, his glory is being revealed, and his word stands forever. So God's then gonna expand this and go, hey, that's not all. But I'm going to actually show you more and more of who I am. And here's the second big idea as we get into verses 9 and 11 is that comfort comes from seeing God. Verse 9, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. What's the good news? Right, it says it twice, herald of good news. Herald of good news. What's the good news? Class? God! God! Right, John Piper has this incredible book where he says God is the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that you get God. And so Isaiah says, hey, 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 comfort is gonna come while you behold God, while you look at God, while you gaze at God, while you pay attention to God. And so this is what this whole chapter is designed to do, is to get us to see God. Listen, Don't look around, you're anxious, you're concerned, you're worried, you're afraid, you're despairing. Don't look around, because what are you gonna see? (laughs) More of the same. You remember when you walked into the grocery store in March of 2020 and you were like, I think the world's about to end. 
right? There's nothing on the shelves, right? Like, because, and we all just started panicking, right? You started looking around, right? We're, you know, we're going, do we need toilet paper? I guess we need to stockpile toilet paper for the rest of our lives. This is like a new thing. Now it's eggs, right? You look around and panic, panic, panic. I'm going to tell you, don't look around. The other thing you're going to be encouraged to do when you want to find hope is you're going to say, well, I got to look within. I got to look within. Listen, if looking within could fix it, it would already be fixed. If you were that strong, you wouldn't be so discouraged. So don't look in and don't look around. What does this say? Look up, behold your God. And when you behold God, what do you see? You see a God who is transcendent and a God who is tender. I love this. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isn't it beautiful to see the arms of the Lord described in these ways, right? Verse 10, the arm of the Lord is ruling, right? It's ruling, it's mighty, it's tough, it's strong, it's glorious, it's powerful. But verse 11, it's tender. He's gonna gather the lambs. You're tender with a lamb. Uh, just the other day, we were at some friend's house and they have a little baby goat, 11 weeks old. And, uh, and I know it's not technically a lamb, but it's as close as I've been around lately. And uh, I mean, this thing, right? It's like trying to catch Patrick Mahomes. You're just not gonna do it, right? But if you finally, it's so quick, right? Then you, then you get it. And, you, and, and so my daughter, Caitlin, was just holding him in her arms. It was tender. Right? That's the Lord. He's tough. He's transcendent, he's big, he's mighty, but he's also tender. He's gently leading his people. So here's where our hope's gonna come from, get this. Our hope is gonna come from seeing God, beholding God, understanding who God is. Okay, who is God? He's transcendent and he's tender. By the way, this is how Jesus is described. This is how Jesus is revealed when Jesus comes because Jesus is the true coming of God. He is the servant king. He's the lion and the lamb. He's truth and grace. He's great and he's good. He's powerful and he's providing. He's got a steel heart or a steel spine and a soft heart. Comfort, comfort. It comes from seeing God. So what's really fun about then the rest of Isaiah is the rest of this Isaiah 40 is just gonna expand on these two ideas. So the next chunk is gonna show us the transcendence, the transcendence of God the King. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? I love this, the hollow of his hand and a span. I wanna show you what this is, the hollow of your hand. Can you just kind of make a little cup with your hand? Imagine you were gonna to try to scoop some water. Right, that's the hollow of your hand. And look what it says. He's measured the waters. All the water of planet Earth. Fits right here. And he marks off the heavens. What are the heavens? The heavens are the stars with a span. A span is put your hand like this. A span is from the edge of your pinky to the edge of your thumb. So he's going, the universe, God's like, yeah, it's about that big. And the waters of the earth, yeah, yeah. Hi, Hawaii. 
I mean, this is just showing you, right? and again, this, God isn't really like doing this, like this isn't meant to be taken literally. It's meant to be taken for how huge God is. Right? We're not saying God has a really ginormous hand up there somewhere. We're just saying God is transcendent. He's bigger than you could possibly imagine. He's immense, but he's not just immense, you know, enclosing the dust of the earth in a measure and weighing the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. He's also all wise. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Right, when has God ever prayed to you for wisdom? Never. Whom did he consult? Nobody. And who made him understand? Nobody. Who taught him the path of justice? Nobody. Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Nobody. Right, like God, God's, he knows about chat GPT. You know, this AI thing that everyone's freaking out about because you can ask it anything, you know, write me a love story um, about two kids from the Midwest. All right, now rewrite it in Shakespearean English. Now return it into a love song. And chat GPT can do all this, right? And it's basically the end of papers in school uh, because everybody's just gonna cheat now. Uh, so that's how that works. And uh, the world's losing its mind because it was like chat GPT was like the fastest thing to a million users. It took like hours, right? Most things take at least days or weeks or in the past months or years. And everyone's losing their mind. You know who's not losing his mind? God. He's going, yeah, that, just, that dumb machine. I, I, <laughs> that understands whatever you can put into it. But you don't know my mind. You don't know my understanding. You're just a little fraction of this. He's all wise. He's not just all wise, he's independent. Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket. Isn't that a great picture? A drop from the bucket, there it is. Uh, United Nations. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor is his beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. Now, this, get this. This doesn't mean God doesn't care about the nations. He obviously does. Jesus says in the Great Commandment, or I'm sorry, in the Great Commission, go to all nations and make disciples. But he's just saying like, you know, God's not worried about this. God's not beholden to anybody. All the nations are as nothing before him. They're accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? And by the way, this theme of idolatry is just going to come up over and over. God, God in Isaiah is going to constantly mock and go, wait a minute. So you use some of the wood to build God and you use the other wood to b build a fire for dinner. Do you see how stupid this is? God's saying, I'm so much bigger. Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. You just get this picture of this immense God who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Uh, you who's not fretting over the next election? God. 
right? We don't know who it's going to be, right? Is it going to be Donald Trump or Joe Biden again? That'll be a blast. <laughs> or uh, maybe Ron DeSantis or Kamala Harris, right? You got all these figures in national politics, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, AOC, Kevin McCarthy, right? You go on the global scale, you got Emmanuel Macron, Justin Trudeau, Kim Jong-un, Ayatollah Khomeini, you got Xi in China, you got Vladimir Putin. Is God worried about this? No, here's what God does, is he goes, and they fall apart. God is sovereign, God is transcendent, God is mighty. God is is not worried about all this. He props people up for a time and he blows them right over. So listen, if you, here's what this is saying. If you put your hope in political leaders, I'm gonna say a word that my wife tells me I'm not allowed to say in the house around the kids. Okay, if you put your hope in politics, you're stupid. I know, don't say, you're not not supposed to say that at home, okay? But that's dumb. Why? Because the grass withers, the flower fades, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. And it continues God's transcendence. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number. The host is referring to the stars. The host by number, calling them all by name. God is saying, look up at the stars. Look at the universe. Look at all the things that I've created. And you'll just be amazed at my transcendence. Think about this. The earth revolves around the sun. And it would cost... The gross national product of the U.S., which is $20 trillion, it would cost that for five million years to pay APS to, to, uh, to charge the sun for one second. God's going, yeah, no big deal to me. Right? The sun is uh, just one star in the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way is one of an estimated two trillion galaxies. God's saying, I know all that by name. So let's ask each other this. Is this kind of God the person that you asked to be your co-pilot? God, I need a little help. No. It's someone you just toss him the keys and you fall on your face and say, Lord, I'm yours. Why? Because he's the transcendent one. And he's transcendent in a way that gives us strength by the greatness of his might because he's strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We are all tired. Every night we have a reminder that we're not God, and it's called going to bed. Psalm 121 says that God doesn't slumber nor sleep. So every night is just this sermon that God preaches. You're not God, you're not God, you're not God, right? He's he's transcendent. Now, here's the thing, if God is only transcendent, that is actually just a little bit terrifying, right? Because if he's only transcendent, if, if everything is just small and everything's no big deal and everything is just, and it blows away, well, then why would I know that he cares for me? Well, Isaiah is saying, listen, he's not just transcendent, he's also tender. And so let's conclude by looking at the tenderness of God the King. 
In verse 29, it says this, he, who give, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Even you young people get tired. I watched a couple soccer games yesterday in the sun, and I know that that's true. They got tired. This word faint means to lose strength. It's just this kind of natural losing of strength that happens, right? This is like, I mean, we're so faint that we go on vacation and come back tired. Like, what is wrong, right? right that's faint. Growing weary is, uh, is wearing out, right? This is just kind of you know, it leaks a little bit. This is like you wear it out, right? So, so this is, you think about it like your car, right? Your, your car can wear out over time, that's fainting. Or it can like burn out through using it poorly, that's being weary. And the same thing for us, right? We're gonna wear out, we're gonna burn out. And this is what it's saying. Even you shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the tenderness of God. This is the care of God. This is the compassion of God. Is that when we go to him, when we wait for the Lord, that's just a way of talking about faith. It's a way of talking about prayer. It's a way of talking about dependence. It's a way of talking about surrender. When we wait for the Lord, here's what he says, he will renew our strength. This word renew means to exchange. It's used some places in the scripture to, to describe exchanging clothing. Right? You, you had those clothes and you exchanged them for new clothes. It's described other places to describing an offering where right, you bring one offering and God exchanges his righteousness for your offering. There's an exchange that happens. So get this. Get this. This is not an increase in your strength. Right? This is what we pray for. We say, God, would you give me strength? And a lot of times what we think we mean is, God, I'm pretty strong already, but would you top me off? And, uh, and that's not what this says. This says those who wait on the Lord, he's not gonna top you off. He's gonna give you a whole different kind. It's gonna be an exchange, right? This is like, oh, no, I'm not gonna top off your, your, your you know, gas guzzler. I'm gonna give you a Tesla, which by the way, those need to be charged too, so it's not a great analogy, but you get it. <laughs> He's not topping you off. He's giving you a whole new thing. How? How is God going to do this? How is this going to happen? Well, this is where we jump ahead a bit to the story. We go, okay, well, the servant king, who is the servant king? Who is God in the flesh? Who is God who is truth and grace? Who is God who is the lion and the lamb? His name is Jesus. And on the cross, here's what happens. The unwearied one becomes weary. On the cross, the strong one becomes weak. On a cross, the soaring one was cut down. Did you notice these words? They shall mount up. Some translations say they will soar. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, where the infinite God became killable and gave himself as an offering for us, we can have his strength, we can have his power, we can be renewed. And this new strength, I love this, this new strength will help you soar, this new strength will help you run, 
And this new strength will help you walk. Now, isn't it interesting the order here? Because you'd expect it to go, well, with the Lord you'll walk. No, you'll, you'll run. No, you'll mount up and fly. But actually what it says is, no, no, no. You'll soar and he'll sustain you. You'll run, he'll sustain you. You'll walk, he'll sustain you. Listen, when you're in the midst of, uh, of despair, when you're in the midst of anxiety, when you're in the midst of distress, you're like, I don't even, I can't even think about soaring. But Lord, could I just keep walking? Would you sustain me? Would you refresh me? Would you renew me? And here's what I want to tell you today. Yes, the answer is yes. Wait for him. Depend on him. See him. Right? Yes, we're in an age of anxiety. Yes, there's deaths of despair all around us. But if we will behold our God and receive his power, sometimes we can just keep walking. Because he came once, and by golly, he's coming again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it instructs us. Thank you for how it teaches us about who you are. And God, we pray that we could uh, taste in our hearts by faith how good you truly are, that we would experience your transcendence and your tenderness. We ask it in Jesus' great name. Amen.